0: This is the Energy Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. That's what's gonna
1: be, I think, truly transformational to a lot of businesses, and hydrogen fuel cells enable a lot of use cases with batteries.
0: By covering the surfaces in floating solar PV panels, you can not only generate electricity on site, you can actually purify the water.
1: All right, welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and joining me is Nathan Summerall. He's a welding engineer for Superior
0: Cladding. Nathan, thank you so much for taking some time and joining us here on the podcast. Thank you so much, Tyler. I appreciate your time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I am doing excellent. It's a fiery Wednesday. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> a fiery Wednesday. I uh, Is there a pun intended there, Nathan? Well, uh, in oil and gas, the... The comedy of oil and gas is there's so much planning on the front end but as soon as the purchase order hits everybody wants it done yesterday so trying to prioritize stuff while doing everything good with fantastic quality is on the forefront of our minds so that leads to a little bit of stress.
1: <laughs> i can I can understand that for sure, so as you've probably guessed by this point in the podcast, we're talking about welding and cladding today uh but first of all, let's start off talking about you, Nathan. How did you get into this world of welding to begin with?
0: Of course, I was fascinated with the idea of joining materials together ever since I was a little kid, you know, from super gluing my fingers together to playing with Dad's welder out in the backyard that segued itself into earning. A, a bachelor's of science in engineering in welding engineering. So I went to Laterno University and after that I got hired on into oil and gas for my starting and I'm actually uh, what is it I gotta think here yeah uh, solidly past five years into this first job I'm enjoying it.
1: That's awesome. So uh, how have you seen things kind of evolve just even in those five years that you've been in the industry now? Has anything changed or evolved over the course of that time?
0: Of course. One of the cool things about oil and gas is the standards that actually drive us to manufacture stuff. With the complications and challenges that we've seen happen uh, in the ocean or on the surface that lends itself just like with airplane accidents a way to improve the engineering design of equipment so in the last five years actually even going all the way back to Macondo or Deepwater Horizons, most people know it uh, what was cool about that tragedy is how much we were able to learn and take away from that so that Knowledge is then spread on to the industry as whole, saying, "Hey, we need to do this. We need to do it this way, and we need to document it this way, and make sure it's viable long term."
1: Yeah. Sometimes, uh, as hard as it might be, the you know the lessons that we learn from mistakes are uh, incredibly important in moving things forward and in in kind of progress, I suppose, in an industry. Um, and, and so, I guess that would be a, a valuable learning experience. I would have to guess.
0: Yeah, and the justification for what we do here at this company is the appropriate segue for so many challenges that we see in oil and gas because parts either wear away or they corrode away and that's where cladding or weld overlays specifically come into play someone gives us a piece of steel and it needs to last for 20 30 40 sometimes even 50 years but anytime it's connected to something else That connection point is a spot where the part can wear away prematurely. How do you protect it from that? That's where cladding fits in place. When there's any type of juncture or connection or mating surface or something that's got friction, you want to make that last as long as you can.
1: So, how long can um, can doing this process, can cladding or metal overlay, how long can that extend the life of a product? Like, what would what would the original lifespan of the product be, and then how long can you extend it on top of that?
0: Sure, I hate the answer. It depends, but that is most appropriate in this case. <laughs> That's uh, fair. Yep, uh, like the air we breathe, oil and gas, or any type of environment that can cause something to rust or corrode is something to be armored against. So a part could last five minutes. It could last 15 years if it's thick enough. But you know that rotten eggs smell in Yellowstone? Yes. Yeah, that's hydrogen sulfide, H2S, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that particular <laughs> aroma or chemical eats steel for breakfast. So even though it's extremely dangerous for humans, Steel has its own special flavor of pain when it comes to chemicals like that. So, what might only last a little while, or even a long while, its life can be multiplied. Its design life, its operating life can be multiplied when you armor it with cladding. So, imagine something lasting for five years, suddenly it can last 10, 15, 20, or 30 years.
1: So explain a little bit more about the cladding process, like what what goes on and what, what all is involved in that and how does it happen?
0: Of course, uh, you know the paint on your car, how that works? Yes. That That someone goes through a manufacturing line, there's a bare steel, they prime it and they paint it. Well, think of the extreme version of that, but with welding. So you know the In the movies where you see the arcs and sparks and all the blue lights happening around like some super cool submarine or something being manufactured in a film
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah like uh like tony stark's iron man suits and things like that (laughs) yeah so uh what's cool about that uh that little blue light that welding arc that is often used for welding this chunk of metal this pipe to this flange or this component to another component, but you can use the same types of technology to layer this equipment with metal. We call that a weld overlay. We are welding a layer of super metal onto the lesser steel to imbue it with the qualities of the good stuff. And it's a lot cheaper long term because Many of these materials that we're actually weld overlaying into components are very very expensive, several order of magnitudes more expensive than just your typical carbon steel. This isn't the kind of stuff that you could just go to Home Depot and buy for a fence yard project. There's some really cool engineering that goes into it, and we provide a service that makes it economical long term. So it wouldn't be an
1: exaggeration to say that you're taking kind of the, the qualities of that more, that higher price, better, I don't, I don't want to say better quality, but kind of better quality material and then imparting it upon the steel so that it, it then takes on those qualities. Is that kind of a, a decent way of saying it?
0: Yeah. Um, materials that are better equipped for the application. Okay. That so makes sense. like, uh-huh. Yeah. So let's say hydrogen sulfide. I'm going to, I'll refer to that back again. Uh, Steels don't survive in it very well, right? But nickel alloys like inconel, if anybody's ever heard that word, that is a material that in general is very easy to work with in hydrogen sulfide environments. And when uh, natural gas or crude oil, when it has H2S mixed in with it, the inconel layer, that nickel layer, provides the rust resistance, the corrosion resistance that the steel needs to last for a long time.
1: So you, you're kind of talking about something, and this all sounds very scientific, which then sounds precise, but I think there's also a level of maybe unpredictability to it, I suppose, that kind of makes this also um, not always a science, right? Like you kind of mentioned that, um, you know, it could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be something else. So there's almost, uh, I would guess, kind of an art to this as well.
0: Yeah. uh, Welding is as much a science as it is an art form. Uh, If you've ever looked at a weld and went, oh, that's ugly. Well, sometimes that met the specification it was intended for. With the specifications that we have to work with for this type of welding, cladding, weld overlays, it looks beautiful when it's all said and done because it looks like someone just painted with a metal. It is genuinely incredible for how smooth, how ripple free, to use the good old welding term, stacking dimes. You get to see that not just on one single portion of a part, but you could see it for 40 feet on a single pipe. Just uh, just think about it this way. Just imagine a complete layer of this super metal from one end to another of a part, and that protects it from rusting from the inside out.
1: That sounds pretty impressive.
0: It is impressive. It is very tedious to perform because it could sometimes take 200, if not 300, hours to physically weld one part.
1: That's, uh, th- that's fascinating.
0: Mm-hmm. And... No person, (laughs) even Superman probably couldn't weld something for 300 hours on end without sleeping. That's where robotics comes into play. So we use robots, machines to weld and someone's physically driving it. Think like a surgeon that welds or think of a person driving a vehicle, but suddenly this vehicle is actually welding for them.
1: That's really interesting. Okay, so what, what, I, I guess what applications are the robots physically doing then that they've taken? Were, were people initially doing those jobs, and now robots have kind of taken them over?
0: Kind of, and not really at the same time. So robots uh, satisfy four, three or four conditions, uh, the three or four Ds, right? You got dark, dangerous... Um, dusty hazardous for your health Uh, robots take the place of people where people are either going to be hurt or exhausted fatigued long term by doing that work they also robots can also do things that people cannot do at all like weld on the inside of a eight inch pipe 40 feet, I can't get a little guy in there to start welding this thing from one end to another. No, that is definitely within the purview of a machine. So the guy is standing outside of the equipment, looking at cameras, looking at screens, looking at this whole digital readout of what's happening while welding, and controlling the robot from there.
1: That's really fascinating. So, when it comes to the overall state of the oil and gas industry, is everybody doing some form of overlay nowadays? Is that is that kind of become the industry standard or are there still people who prefer doing things um, it w- using other methods?
0: It's a little bit above. So, their robots are only economical if you can do something over and over and over, right? Well, there's no robot better than the human body. When there's an application or condition that is very difficult to set up with a robot, whether you're out in the field or in the shop, a person, if they have the skill set and the patience and the right equipment, can do stuff that's absolutely incredible that sometimes is hard to even distinguish of whether or not a machine did it or a person did it. But in what we do for cladding, for weld overlays, by far the vast majority of folks using such a technology are using it with machines doing the work
1: so how much of what you do is very cut and dry like so for this application you know okay so we're putting steel in yellowstone we need to use this material and how much of it is um, troubleshooting and kind of walking through a process of, okay, this might be the scientific best approach, but we also have to factor in cost, may have to factor in practicality of this application. Does that make sense? Do you have to walk through decisions kind of through a tree like that?
0: Yes. Uh, we have industry standards where a whole bunch of scientists and engineers have gotten together and said, Uh, Here is a set of conditions and after you figure out what's really relevant, you should be using these materials. That material selection is something that is of an industry norm. If a guy needs something strong, he's not going to use something weak. If something needs to be resilient, they won't use something that is soft. But in this instance, we have two parts of that. We have the industry says we need to do this and then we need to do it for the company. So that tweaking, that figuring stuff out from a cost standpoint certainly happens on the company level. So for example, a customer cuts us a purchase order to clad something. Now we must figure out a way to one, make sure that we are legal from a code standpoint, that a customer has approved all of our procedures and and agrees that we are uh, performing sound work And then we must do it in a way that is a win-win for both us and the customer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And does it help to be um, extremely detail-oriented throughout this entire process? Because I'm guessing that uh, the margin for error is extremely slim and the consequences for mistakes are rather large. So does it help to be extremely detail-oriented throughout this process?
0: yes sir the small details do matter it's worth sweating the small stuff um, (laughs) because they have big time implications uh my my job description as a welding engineer is to be the scientist behind welding most people didn't know there was even an engineer for such an application to begin with most people would know about the mechanical engineer who designs the engine of a car. Most people know about the electrical engineer who made the components for Apollo, or designed the components for Apollo 11. And you only hear about welding engineers when stuff falls apart.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So I, I, I guess that that's, a, uh, that's an argument for, like you mentioned, sweating the small stuff. Um, because in the end, that's, those are the things that really are going to make or break a project.
0: Right. So when I write a welding procedure a welding procedure specification, WPS for short, I have to go through a whole set of uh, qualifying tests and samples and destructive testing to prove that it's even a good idea at all. And if there's any type of specific little technique or a condition that the guys have to have to make it work, that's all gotta be written down, documented, and put on the same page so everyone from the top dogs like Shell and BP all the way down to little old Superior Cladding know exactly how this project is going to be repeatable
1: that's really interesting and so it's it's about maintaining i, I suppose a uh, the right process uh, by which you get to an end result because by doing that, then then you ensure that there is kind of integrity throughout every step, and that every step has been uh, poured over and thought about, and made sure that it is ironclad and not gonna uh, not gonna fail on any level.
0: Uh huh, that's right. And 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 good pun with regards to the ironclad because <laughs> the iron would be cladded with something else. So that proving out of process and making sure that it's followed happens every step of the way for manufacturing. manufacturer. Someone has come up with a cool idea. They need to forge this metal. They need to forge that steel. Then someone else has to make the welding wire and it has to be made in such a way. And those have to be of impeccable quality. Then I have to do my science project, proving that we can physically weld these materials together. And then after that point, we get to proceed with production. And once production is done, then there's a whole slew of non-destructive tests that get done on our equipment to make sure it's actually good for the service.
1: So give, uh, can give me the temperature of the industry right now. Just how many... Uh, refineries are in need of being kind of rebuilt using better materials and, and that sort of thing. How how busy are you guys on a regular basis doing projects along those lines?
0: Sure. So refineries are being, uh, many of them are going through shutdowns right now to revamp them for new uh, chemicals. So what's kind of cool is that we ha- are used to the crude oil world. Sure, we find some. However, the United States really has a strong foothold in light oil, stuff that's not crude. We have amazing reserves on a much cleaner burning fuel that we can't process internally. So refineries are uh, cannot hire enough people to revamp their facilities to process this light oil. And a lot of that stuff is going to need corrosion resistant alloys or wear resistant alloys to clad the typical iron structures to work with this stuff. And that is going, I don't know the percentage of them. However, for uh, the majority of the work that we're doing right now is refinery work, is petrochem. We make cool parts and then someone else will weld them together once it gets to the field.
1: So is that kind of the biggest change that the industry is undergoing right now? Is that uh, refineries are kind of adjusting to, uh, uh, I guess, to house and, and to work with these new, uh, like a, a different material than normal?
0: Yes. And it's uh, it can be pulling teeth at times. But the methodologies of subsea, stuff going down into the ocean, are exceptionally intense and hardcore. As the oil and gas downturn from 2014 and now has kind of uh, driven its its knife into the wound ever deeper, those guys that are getting laid off are being hired at new locations and the knowledge is going with that and therefore those standards are now being changed as well. So the solutions that we were very used to in sub C uh, that we would consider commonplace are considered novelties and other expressions of our industry. So uh, many types of downstream groups, some of them have used overlays in the past, but now uh, many more of them are considering the design like the subsea components. So they are taking new process controls that were uh, not as familiar with uh, some of those industries as it is with... Uh, the upstream portion of oil and gas.
1: So you're seeing your business be diversified throughout that process as well then?
0: Yes, our diversity is based upon someone's need to make a component last. Mm -hmm. However, they don't need to last, they don't need us, right? So (laughs) (laughs) um, there are, it's actually kind of cool. There are some pieces of equipment that are designed to fail first versus everything else, that way the situation doesn't get very bad. Uh, there are some that you rarely ever if ever slash almost never want to ever see go bad and that's where our service really comes into play
1: absolutely well uh i for one like things that wear out quickly i'm just kidding no but uh <laughs> seriously uh but uh i really enjoyed getting to learn a little bit more about this process and a, a little bit more about welding and cladding and, and what you do nathan so i appreciate you taking the time to uh, to educate us a little bit more on the podcast today
0: Thank you so much, Tyler. I appreciate that as well.